When did it become legal to do drugs in the open air? Amen. This environment we live in, with needles adorning our sidewalks and replacement of flowers, wouldn't be tolerated anywhere else. There's a community center for heroin addicts to go and shoot up under supervision, which I think is, in, is crazy. Ultimately, what we are doing is serving to protect their property values, their children's safety, the cleanliness of their parks. We're not different from anybody else. We just have an addiction, but we are not different from anybody else. Unfortunately, we we go through different circumstances and we live different types of lives and maybe you handle your problems differently from mine, you know? So I, I just think that they shouldn't discriminate or judge. That's India, a 41-year-old mother of five who's trying to get clean after dealing with substance abuse for most of her life. She's gotten clean in the past, but this time around, India is exploring a new way to detox. In Manhattan, on 126th Street between Park and Lexington Avenues, a nondescript brick and tile building stands tall between an empty lot and an old-school no-frills bodega. Across the street, parents clamor at the door of a school to pick up their kids. This building houses a controversial center known as a safe consumption site, where users can inject, snort, or smoke drugs under the supervision of trained professionals. But the site isn't just for consuming drugs. Users get access to clean needles, fentanyl testing strips, and housing support, group therapy, or a detox program like the one India is trying to do. Let's say you're gonna OD or something. There's somebody there to help you. You understand? You could probably be in the train and you shoot up and there's nobody there to help you while you ODing. If you think about it, it's, it is helpful. It does help. And it doesn't encourage you to use more because it's like I said, at the end of the day, you still gonna use. You feel me? You're still gonna go ahead and use. In the face of over 100,000 drug overdose deaths last year, cities and states have been wrestling with how to stop people from dying. Many drug and policy experts are now changing their tune, showing less concern with people getting off of drugs than they are with simply preventing overdoses. It's an uphill battle for sure, but we wanted to find out whether it's working. My name is Wes Parnell, and I'm a reporter with The Lost Debate. Along with our producer, Nicholas Perone, we took the train uptown to see how this safe consumption site in Harlem operates. We spoke with users and addicts, community members and experts to understand the impact of this controversial new drug center. A weather-stained awning welcomes users as they check in with a woman holding a clipboard at the front of the building. Dealers stand nearby with wads of cash swapping drugs for money. One user, suffering from a psychotic episode, walks down the street kicking and punching the air, yelling at no one. On the stoop of the school across the street, a man takes off his shoe and picks at his foot. Some go inside to inject their drugs, ride their highs out in a waiting room, and go about their day. Some reach into a walk-up window where a man with gloves hands out supplies like clean needles. We step inside. A dozen or so users are there to greet us. People are eating, lounging, watching TV. On the far side of the lobby are a pair of double doors where users line up to consume their drugs. It's oddly welcoming for a site still illegal under federal law. We walk up a windy set of stairs with pale blue walls to see Sam Rivera, the executive director of On Point NYC, the nonprofit that runs this site. 
The city hired Sam because of his background in harm reduction and prison reentry programs. Now, he both oversees and develops the systems inside the nation's first overdose prevention center, or OPC for short. My mom was a nurse 40 years in New York City. You know, I grew up on the Lower East Side where drug use was rampant for a long time. And I remember sitting with her in the emergency room and she would take care of drug users. Like she was doing wound care before I even know what, knew what it was. I remember asking her, like, why do you take care of that guy? He's always in here. He doesn't care. You know, I was a kid. And she was, I don't judge if people care about themselves. I care. And if they bring me some something in my job as a nurse, I, I treat them. And I look at this the same way, right? So our goal is to keep them alive. Our goal is to create a safe space. Our goal is to treat them like humans. They've been dehumanized for a long time. Our, our goal is, is working, too. Like, I'm watching the goal come to life where we are creating an environment in that room where people feel a part of something. And that in itself will get people to want to heal. And whatever that means, I don't want to just say like, you know, stop using or whatever it means for them to heal because they get in there and they start to feel like they're part of a community. Um, they belong to something, right? We're creating this sort of fraternity. And it's not a fraternity of people to come in and use. It's a fraternity for people to come in and feel safe and welcomed and loved. And when I get people saying, well, I want to keep coming, I don't know, you know, I said, well, then make me hire you, man. One of those community hires is just a floor below Sam's office. Michelle Garrow welcomes us in. Once an addict, Michelle spent the past year volunteering at the site and getting certified in a program called AccuDetox. Now she helps oversee the holistic healing room where users receive acupuncture and massage therapy from staff and students at the nearby Pacific College. And if some of this doesn't sound like the kind of treatment you'd expect at a drug facility, you're not wrong. The site is throwing every dart it has to create an environment where users feel safe and cared for, like they're part of a larger community. I'm in recovery right now, so like when I was going through my addiction, um, I never had a place like this. So it's like really awesome that now I can go on and help people. And now I have like a level of compassion to be able to help people because I know exactly how it feels to not be able to afford something like this. Back downstairs and on the far side of the lobby are the pair of double doors. They wall off the actual overdose prevention center where users go to consume their substance of choice. On the back wall of this room, in large bold letters, reads the sign, this site saves lives. We have four booths and two smoking rooms. This is what's called a polymodality and polysubstance consumption room. They can sniff, they can smoke, they can swallow, they can shoot. And they also can use any substance that they want to use. So they bring their substance in, we supervise them using it. That's Pia Marcus, one of the directors in charge of controlled drug use at the site. Rows of booths with mirrors line the wall. Pia scans each one attentively, watching users as they consume their drugs, studying their eyes in the reflection of the mirror, making sure they don't roll into the back of their head, usually the first sign of an overdose. At the moment they start to slip into an overdose, or what we call an overamp, we're intervening in that exact moment. That means that we often don't have to intervene at a very, very invasive level because we're intervening so early. We want to pause here for a minute and go back to India. She's the mother of five you heard from at the beginning who's trying to get clean again. By many measures, India is a success story for the site. She started using substances as a young adult, chasing the high that each new drug brought. She kept coming back to the center for the community and support, and now she's contemplating the leap towards sobriety. I use heroin and cocaine, and uh, the process of detox 
It's my first time detoxing. So it's going to be a hard process. I don't, I don't use intravenous. I sniff. And um, it's, going, it's still going to be hard. It's going to be a hard process. I mean, I've been clean before. I relapsed because just all the things I've been through. Um, I had my mother's death. I had my aunt's death. I had an issue with my daughters. So I just had a lot going on at one time. I mean, if this site would not be here, I, I really don't know what to tell you because this, this has helped a lot of people. They extend that helping hand, like, you know, it's gonna be a hard process, but you know we're here for you for whatever you need, you know. Um, that you have that, you know, like that shoulder to lean on, you feel me? The city began its safe consumption project in December of last year, opening two sites, one in Washington Heights and the one in Harlem where we have been reporting from. The site in Harlem follows a medical model where professionals and a doctor monitor drug use. In Washington Heights, the city employs a peer-to-peer model where addicts in recovery or in maintenance use help monitor other users and render aid when necessary. As of April, the two sites have served a total of 13,181 visits, spread across 968 participants. The city's analyzing which of these sites work better. So far, no one has died. You know, we've been, you know, looking at the effectiveness of OPCs for um, for some time now. That's Dr. Michael McRae, a clinical psychologist and the acting executive deputy commissioner for mental hygiene at the New York City Department of Health. Dr. McRae oversaw the opening of these sites, four of which were originally planned to counteract some 130 overdoses a year. But even with just two sites open, the city says it saved over 226 lives in just a matter of months. Not to be too kind of simplistic about it, but I think anytime we talk about saving lives, uh, we are uh, talking about a win. In the end, we would like to see this as a citywide strategy, something that we can have across the city so uh, people can have access to this very uh, this life-saving um, harm reduction strategy. I spoke to someone recently who said, you know, these are definitely saving lives, but they might just be delaying deaths. Um, is there another component to just reducing overall drug usage or are you mainly focused on just preventing overdoses in the immediate? The safe injection services are an adjunct to other services that are available with those same providers. They have access to wraparound services, uh, social services, medical services, and even getting basic needs met, um, as in showers. Uh, and so this is an opportunity to kind of build relationships with individuals, give them a, a, a safe space to use, and hopefully get them connected to long-term uh, services uh, that are, will help them in recovery. But opening the nation's first consumption site hasn't been easy. City officials proposed similar sites in years past, none of them ever making it past a federal court. In 2019, the Trump administration shut down an effort to open an overdose prevention center in Philadelphia, setting a Reagan-era law known derisively as the Crack House Statute. Passed in 1986, the law bans the use of a building for manufacturing, distributing, or consuming controlled substances. Sources here in New York said the sites wouldn't have opened if Trump were still in office. But under the Biden administration, the Department of Justice recently signaled a look into legalizing these sites. For the time being, the DOJ just turns a blind eye. But outside of the U.S., safe consumption sites are more common. There are over 120 overdose prevention centers operating in 10 different countries around the world, from the Netherlands to Canada to Portugal to Mexico. Some countries have done a better job than others at addressing addiction. It's heartbreaking because you, 
you met individuals who was letting you know, like, hey, my best friend just died. Hey, they just found so-and-so in a bathroom or in a park, in an isolated area. And you know, my thing is like, no one should die ever, die alone, mixed, like thrown away like trash. Um, and that was a big thing. That's Shante Owens, an outreach member for the Lower East Side Alliance Harm Reduction Center. He spends his nine to five walking the streets of Lower Manhattan, distributing overdose prevention supplies to the most vulnerable addicts, the homeless. Before we move on, we should explain the distinction between a safe consumption site and what is known as a harm reduction center. Harm reduction centers are fairly common in New York. Dozens dot the city, and they help users by providing supplies to safely use drugs, but they stop short of allowing drug use on the premises. The site in Harlem was actually a harm reduction center before the city tapped it to be one of the nation's first two OPCs. And for those who work in harm reduction, the opening of the safe consumption sites is a long-awaited step toward a more progressive form of drug treatment. But as it stands, harm reduction specialists worry that two sites is not nearly enough. You don't have a lot of options right now. Right now, the only option is to travel to Washington Heights or, or Harlem or, or just stay out here and hope that you don't die. It's again, it's like a person sitting at a poker table. You put all your chips in the middle of that table. You better hope you pull the lucky hand, because if you don't, game over. And for Shante, victims aren't just a numbers game. They're people he sees every day. A young man, I used to call him uh, D Strong. Um, I stop and laugh with him, joke with him. If I have it, sometimes I give him a dollar or two. I'm not supposed to, but it's my money. He was on one set corner, so that's how I knew. It was easy to find him, he was right off of Broadway. And so I made sure to make it a point in my life to just make sure that I stopped by and say, hey, what up, man, you all right? Um, just, just to see how he's doing. About three weeks ago, or maybe more, I didn't see him in the street. And I was like, wow, man, like this is a brother that I've always seen. Um, the store owner that knows me and know him was like, hey man, I heard that um, D died. And I was shocked. I was like, nah, man. When I hear that someone that I've known and had close contact with um, passing away, it, it touches me. It, yeah, it touches me extremely. Um, it, it really, it really bothers you. Um, but that's why we need to keep fighting for more overdose prevention sites. At this point, you might be thinking, why isn't every city doing this? Sounds like a no-brainer. But opening these kinds of sites comes with tangible downsides and pressing policy questions. First off, they typically attract a high concentration of users, and in many cases, dealers. People in Harlem say the OPC has noticeably changed their neighborhood in just the last few months. And it's worth noting, it sits across the street from an elementary school. To add to that, over 90% of the harm reduction centers in New York City fall into formerly redlined neighborhoods, deemed, quote, hazardous or in decline. According to local activists, this creates a vicious cycle. Dealers target lower income neighborhoods where users get treatment, further driving the amount of drugs in the community. Off the subway at 125th Street, and there was a guy just sort of standing there yelling, drugs, drugs, like he was vending at a baseball game. Um, and that's the sort of environment in which this this site exists. That's Charles Fain Lehman, a fellow at the Manhattan Institute of Policy Research, a conservative 501c3 focused on domestic issues and urban policy. Lehman toured the site when it opened in December and was concerned by the sheer number of dealers in the neighborhood. And Lehman isn't the only one. 
A 38-year-old mother of three, Maite, who moved from Mexico to create a better life in the States, was picking up two of her children from the school across the street from the center when we spoke to her. We're nervous. I've seen a lot of drugs, violence. There are times when you always have to walk on the defensive because you don't know who's walking behind you. Really, I'm just nervous for my kids. My kids more than anything else. I've seen fights, knifings. I've seen someone pull out a gun. It's gotten to the point that you don't know who is who on this street. I explained what the city is trying to do by preventing overdoses, but she didn't buy it. Honestly, it kind of surprises me and bothers me how the city is going about this, particularly that the site is so close to young children. And it's also just generally dangerous for young people growing up in the neighborhood because it's just a bad example for kids seeing that. I understand there is a lot of addiction. We are all affected by addiction. But to place this near schools is just dangerous. Lehman is skeptical about this progressive approach to drugs, but he's not closed off to the idea that these sites could help. He's just worried about the downsides. If these policies actually dramatically reduce a drug overdose death, then they are probably worth uh, any harms that they may incur to the surrounding community. More than 100,000 people died from drug overdoses in the year preceding April 2021. Uh, two decades ago, it was 10,000 people. The drug crisis in America is enormous. It's real. In less than a decade, drugs will kill more people than COVID-19 has. Um, it's an enormous problem. But I really do think it is compounding harms on the community where, for lack of better phrasing, New York City has dumped so much of its drug treatment capacity and therefore created a target market for drug dealers, uh, producing an environment that is harmful to neighbors, harmful to ordinary citizens, they're harmful to their kids. Like, I would not want to live in East Harlem because I don't want to send my kid to school walking past a drug dealer. I think that's reasonable. I told him it sounds like there's two things at play right now. Stopping overdose deaths in the face of over 100,000 last year, and stopping drug use in general. I was curious, did those two policies go hand in hand? Um, you can design a, a policy approach that tries to discourage drug use initiation and also treat people who use drugs. Not necessarily people who sell drugs, who sell drugs in the quantity, quantities, people who use drugs as deserving of our care, support, access to treatment, etc. A regime which pushes people to get off drugs, which induces people to get off drugs, as opposed to waiting for them to decide themselves to get off drugs, is I think a preferable regime, but not obviously one that New York City or other cities are either willing to spend the time time, the money, or the ideological capital on. That's, that, that's alarming to me. What Lehman is getting into is the range of policy approaches that surround drug use. This is a field that lacks firm consensus. And just like any other policy decision, both public opinion and expert analysis change and evolve over time. 50 years ago, something like a syringe exchange program would have been unheard of. Now, around 200 exist across the country, and they've curbed the spread of HIV and reduced the amount of discarded syringes left on streets and parks and playgrounds. Today, activists and policymakers are struggling to understand how policing, outreach, and rehab work together. Tom Wolf is one of those activists, and he knows personally the toll of addiction. I started purchasing pills, and my addiction progressed over the next couple of years. I was taking seven 80-milligram tablets a day uh, at a cost of uh, $30 a pill, so $210 a day times seven days a week. Uh, you can do the math. I was hiding all this from my wife. I'd stopped paying the mortgage. I was using all my money to... Um, to buy my drugs. And uh, that's when she cut me off from the money, and that's when I switched to heroin, because heroin is a fraction of the cost. It's $10 for an eighth of a gram of heroin on the street. Tom eventually left home for a cardboard mat in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco, picking up a lengthy rap sheet along the way. 
He used so much that his veins were shot, forcing him to snort heroin and fentanyl. To afford his habit, Tom held stashes of drugs for cartels in exchange for free drugs. If cops wanted to make an arrest, he was the one who took the fall. After his sixth arrest, Tom got, as he put it, sick and tired of being sick and tired. As someone that, that lived it, that was out there on the street, recovery, recovery from addiction, recovery from homelessness, those are the way out. That, that is the way out. And housing is part of that equation. I'm not saying it's not. But so is drug treatment. So is mental health treatment. And, uh, and let's face it, there's a subset of people on the street that are going to require some kind of inter intervention from us, the community, to help them get on that path to recovery so they can get healthy and turn their life around. What were the thoughts that went through your head when you saw that New York City was opening safe consumption sites? You know, if you'd asked me that question three years ago, I would have said this is nuts. But, you know, my, my position has evolved over the last few years and I've become kind of more ambivalent to the whole safe consumption site idea. Because the bottom line is that people that use drugs are going to use no matter what. So whether that's in an alleyway or in a safe place, I get that. The problem that we have is that we can't really decide what seems to be the best approach. And, you know, harm reduction is a good thing, but there's a, a faction, I guess you could say, of harm reductionists that support the idea of just maintaining somebody's addiction indefinitely. And that's not what we want to do here. We want to create a safe space where someone can maybe use and then talk to somebody so they don't die and then talk to them about treatment options and trying to get them off the street. So if a safe consumption site is going to work, there's going to have to be some trade-offs that come along with it. And this is not what's happening in New York and it's not what's happening in San Francisco. And those trade-offs include having you know zero tolerance to people that sell drugs on the street. Unfortunately, you have to have some interdiction. In New York, officials are wrestling with how to prevent mass incarceration while also taking drug dealers off the street. Manhattan's freshly minted progressive DA Alvin Bragg is on the record saying he won't prosecute low-level drug crimes, opting for large-scale takedowns instead. At the safe consumption site in Harlem, squad cars drive by regularly. They don't make arrests. So I asked Wolf. What does the day-to-day -day role of law enforcement look like? Does, does, is that arresting people for open drug use on the side of the street? Um, how does law enforcement factor into this? That's a, that's a great question, and it's not an easy question to answer. So look, there's no question that there needs to be police reform. At the same time, though, the cops do a tremendous amount of outreach that they don't get any kind of recognition for. And when I was out on the street and I was struggling with my addiction, I had to have my drugs. Okay, Whether I had money or not, the, the withdrawals were calling to me. And I would do pretty much anything that I needed to do to get them which included going into a Walgreens and shoplifting, which included holding drugs for the drug dealers, all of those things that are illegal. And it's not because you want to necessarily, it's because you have to. So that subset of people that are doing those, that are committing those crimes, that's where law enforcement can come in and be effective in helping those individuals find recovery. That's how I got clean. I went to jail, county jail for three months. And I was able to kind of like look at my life and make a decision that I can do better, I can do more, that I want another chance, and I took that chance on recovery. Is that gonna work for everybody? No, but it will work for some people. And you know, this is where the police reform can come in. How about in county jails, instead of having it be so punitive, they open things like recovery pods, recovery mod mods inside of county jails. That whole entire day, you're talking to recovery coaches and you're having support meetings and things like that to talk about your addiction and how you can find recovery. It can become a place of healing and real rehabilitation for some. There's just a lack of trust in the system right now. In most of America, convincing taxpayers to fund safe consumption sites is a non-starter. First off, it's politically toxic. 
but it gets all the more so if people think the sites are going to go in their backyards. Despite those hurdles, Tom is a fierce advocate for an admittedly expensive but comprehensive model known as treatment on demand. Here, detox centers are located on-site alongside OPCs. If it's just a site to use, Tom worries it won't actually help users get clean. It has to be a little more intense than that, saying, look, we know that you're here to use, no judgment on you, but we want you to know that when, if you want, right next door, there's a detox center. After you're done dosing right here, I can have you talk to an intake worker today, and I can have you in that detox bed three hours from now. When someone says, okay, I'm ready, I'm ready to go, if you tell them come back tomorrow, then how many times between now and tomorrow are they gonna use in that window? Four, five, six, seven, eight times, right? You're playing Russian roulette every time you use if you're using fentanyl that you're gonna overdose and die one of those seven or eight times. So there is some truth in that we have to offer the right kinds of services to people, but there's also truth in that we have to create a continuum of care where we can move people quickly into treatment and off the street. It's too early to diagnose whether the safe consumption sites in New York can work seamlessly alongside other city agencies. Users at the site talk about counseling, the referrals to housing, social services, and treatment. But whether they end up taking the next step toward recovery is at this point impossible to say. The city wasn't able to provide data for the number of users that enter treatment programs via the safe consumption sites. But here are the numbers that we do have. In New York State alone, drug-involved overdose deaths increased by 37% from 2019 to 2020. In the same period, overdose deaths involving an opioid shot up by 44%. On average, opioids killed 12 New Yorkers every day. And as the opioid epidemic continues to kill more and more Americans with each passing year, all eyes are on New York, waiting to see if these two sites can make a difference. The first two overdose prevention sites opened up in a short span of time, and they, they reversed and saved 170 people's lives. That's 170 people who don't have to be buried in the ground. That's 170 people who now get the second chance at life. This special report has been brought to you by The Lost Debate, produced and edited by Nicholas Perrone, copy edited by Michael Hendricks, audio design by Joe Enkelbrecht, a special thanks to Ava Maldonado for voiceover. I'm Wes Parnell. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Thanks for listening.